You're listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, your home for the best of science fiction and fantasy with a twist. Whether you prefer your stories with dragons or aliens, your beverages shaken or stirred, fill your glass, relax, and join the conversation with your hosts, sci-fi and fantasy authors and proud tipsy nerds, Natalie Wright and R.S. Dabney. Welcome, Tipsy Nerds, to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Natalie Wright, along with the bright, shiny, awake, early morning, Robin Schofield. Hey, Robin. Hi, Natalie. How are you (laughs) tonight? Today? We're nine hours apart right now, so it's late at night for me, early in the morning for Robin. We're both very tired, but at opposite ends of the day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like a time traveler. It's like- how are you yesterday? <laughs> and how are you tomorrow? Exactly. exactly. That's cool. Probably pretty appropriate for the genre that we talk about on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we are talking, we're doing a do part one, <laughs> yep. Dune, the movie part one. Yes. Today we are talking about Dune, the movie, the recent release um, directed by Denis Villeneuve, a French Canadian director. He's also one of the screenplay writers We will be talking about the Frank Herbert book, which is the source material for this movie in another episode. But today we're focusing solely on the movie as an artistic piece of its own right. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited to talk with you about this, Robin, because I have feelings (laughs) (laughs) about this movie. (laughs) I have feelings too. And it's like, I feel like those are our best episodes when we have feelings. We have um, feelings. <laughs> before we dive into it, just to do a, a little setup for people. Yeah. Um, if you haven't read the book or haven't seen the movie, Dune is a science fiction and I would say also fantasy novel set in probably a very distant future. It is about a family, uh, the Atreides family from the planet Caladan, who get sent by the emperor to the planet Arrakis, which is also called Dune, um, to take over after a kind of violent and nasty regime was outed. Dune, the planet, is a desert planet. I mean, think the Sahara, the middle of the Sahara, not with access to the Nile. Right. And really hard to sustain life. And there's a lot of betrayal that goes on. We'll go into all of this, but Dune part one is sort of about their entering this new planet, the betrayal that happens, and then being forced to figure out how to survive in this desert environment. Yeah. With really big worms. And the reason why they're on this planet, we must mention, and that's because they mine melange, which is also Mm -hmm. called spice. I don't even think they call it melange in the movie, but um, it's called spice. Spice is um, a geriatric drug in the book, but in the movie anyway, it's, it gives the main character really bad, (laughs) uh, like (laughs) trips, you know, he's like got an LSD, like psychotropic kind of trips. But anyway, it's a drug and it is a medicinal and a drug. So it's like on the surface of the planet and it's dangerous because of creatures that live below the surface of the planet, which we'll talk about in a minute. But anyway, it's a dangerous proposition on a very dangerous planet, but it's mm-hmm. very valuable. So yes. it's at the heart, the, that what they're there for is at the heart of this whole 
you know, kind of controversy. But before we go much further, Robin, let's talk about what we're drinking today. I um, (laughs) was the spice when they ingest it, if you use it frequently, it causes like the people on this planet, their eyes are blue. So Mm -hmm. blue is a kind of a prominent color on this otherwise pretty dismal looking, you know, very Mm -hmm. brown tan planet. So I wanted to do a blue drink. And so uh, Curacao, orange Curacao, you know, it has that orange flavor, but whenever I think the desert, cause I live in a desert, I think about tequila. So I am having a drink I'm calling spice. It's made with tequila. It's like a margarita, but instead of like orange liqueur, I'm using blue Curacao. So it's blue and it's pretty and it's got tequila and it's delicious. <laughs> That sounds spicy. I like it. I saw <laughs> and it's not red wine. No. <laughs> and it I saw um I was inspired by to this drink by a YouTuber and I'm going to share the link on our media for this episode but a bartender in Australia made it with made a similar drink and he called it spice as well but he used a spice rum. Oh, so okay. again, kind of following the procedure you would for a tequila or the recipe but then using spiced rum. So that sounds good too. So either way, I'm a little disappointed in myself that I didn't think of spiced rum for this. <laughs> How far I've fallen. So it's, it's, um, uh, before eight o'clock in the morning for me. And so I'm, and she's wearing her pajamas. I want to add. I am. I put on my, I put on my pajama suit. So this is a matching top and bottoms. You can't see, but it's my fancy pajamas. <laughs> um, so let's see, I am drinking what I'm calling uh, this. God, I've gotten so boring. The gom jabbar, which is just a bloody Mary that I'm calling a, gl- a gom jabbar, <laughs> but I, I, I cannot drink tequila before eight. I can't drink tequila before nine either. You know, I'm not saying, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, you know, Hey, we drank tequila with Hugh Howie at like, I don't know what time of the day it was for him. It was super early. Oh yeah. It was 8am. He's cooler than I am. Or he's, you know, he's something that I'm not. Then we stray off topic. There we go. <laughs> Back to Dune. <laughs> we did the setup. Here's this big movie, like almost three hours long, really long movie. Mm-hmm. Part one news flash that came out, I think today or yesterday, they are going to, they've confirmed a theatrical release of part two mm-hmm. in October of 2023. Yeah. And that's kind of news because people were kind of complaining a little bit that they released part one, but there was no confirmation there was going to be part two. And it represents really only like half the book. And the story is, there's not really an end at the end of this movie. No. And I, I bet they knew they probably already have this thing done. And they were just saying that to get us all to go to the theater, to spend money, to like try to get Dune part two. And they already had it ready. That's my thought. I don't disagree with that actually. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to, ta- how do you want to tackle this beast? Cause it's kind of, it's a big movie and there's a lot, a lot. Well, I could just jump in. <laughs> I can't. T- so, <clears throat> okay. I think first of all, let's just ask, do you recommend the movie or not? Do you, do you is, or is this like, yes, go see it. Or are you like now nah, wait till, you know, so it's like, I don't even know how to answer that. Okay. So I, if you've read the book or seen past Dune content, 
yes, go see it. If you haven't, I think it moves so quickly and a lot of the events are pretty disjointed. Cinematography is spot, like, I mean, it's, it's a gorgeous movie to watch and it's entertaining, but, but I think for people who don't have any background in the Dune world, they could be very lost. And that will lead into what I have to say later. <laughs> um, okay. I, I liked it. I'm still processing. I yeah. liked it, but, and I will talk about the, but after you say what you want to say. Okay. So I went to see this with my husband. He has not read Dune at all. Mm-hmm. I have not finished the book, but I've read, you know, a piece of it and kind of generally know about Dune. We walked out and I was ready to go see it again immediately. I love Dennis Villeneuve's directing. He also directed Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and now this one. And the three of them together are my three favorite sci-fi movies definitely of this century. So I feel like, and then when you add the Hans Zimmer score. Okay. Yes. Well, I had, yes. I, I mean, I just, I get a hard on for Hans Zimmer. (laughs) I do too. And and so yes, the music was phenomenal. I feel like you could just watch this in a way and like have the actors never, like you could turn off the sound of the actors speaking and I would probably have enjoyed it just as much as hearing them, the story. Do you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. as a visual and sound feast, it was I a feast. was enamored with it. And my, we walked out and I said to my husband, I, what do you think? And he goes, well, that was pretty awful, right? That's funny. And I was like, uh, no, I want to go see it again. He's like, see it again. Oh, how could you? That was terrible. So funny. Yeah. We sat, you know, side by side, the exact same experience. And yet he was like, you know, that's awful. And I was like, sign me up for more, you know? So it's interesting. And I think that goes back to what I was saying too, because I went and sat with my boyfriend and the whole time I was sitting there and I was like, he's going to have no idea what is happening. (laughs) And sure enough, at the end, he was like, well, I I enjoyed the second part because it seemed to have more story. He was like, but the first part was just like disjointed space battles. And I had no idea what was happening. And I talked to another friend who messaged me on Twitter and he was like talking about how much he loved it. And I made that comment about how I think people who have no foot in the Dune universe wouldn't understand. He was like, yeah, my wife actually had no clue what was going on. So, okay. So I felt like this was the grown up Star Wars Mm-hmm. that I always wanted. So clearly, you know, Dune was released as a book in 1965 and George Lucas, it's no like, you know, surprise or shock that he was highly influenced by a number of sci-fi things that came before. And mm-hmm. Dune is like, it's the, it's almost the exact same thing. Only like Star Wars is the much more entertaining, cheesier, you know, like more commercial glitzy version of Dune. It, yeah. You know, but Frank Herbert, and I know we're talking about the book a little bit now, but you know, it was very groundbreaking in 1965 to basically have a medieval, you know, like fantasy set in space. I mean, exactly. it's like the houses, which is very medieval, you know, there's the evil Baron, 
and you know the emperor and then they're they literally are using swords which we can talk about that and you know and george lucas is like hey instead of swords let's use lightsabers because it's like a laser not that that's very possible without having a truck strapped to your back but hey you know it's like woo-hoo. you know but it's it's so anyway for me i love star wars as an 11 year old i loved star wars i still like it but this to me visually and everything and story-wise feels like the grown-up version of that, that I've sort of always wanted Star Wars to be. Um, so yeah. I was in like nerd heaven, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> soaking up, soaking up all of that. And the fact that it's kind of slow and it's not like real emotional, um, which people have kind of slammed this for, and we can talk about that. You know, there's not a lot of um, feels for the characters. Um, it doesn't really connect in an emotional level like a lot of people would like it to. I didn't really mind that. And, you know, it didn't have the humor that like Star Wars has. Yeah. There's this one scene where Jason Momoa is in it and he's, he, you know, he does this, he's like, you know, a Jason, he's being Jason Momoa and it's kind of funny, but to me, it felt really out of place because mm-hmm. Dune in general, the movie was, was more serious and somber, but yeah. anyway, uh, I'm rambling. Yeah. Those, those were my first thoughts about it. No, that's good. And I, so I'm going to be, I think, critical in this episode, but I want to state that it's not because I didn't also love it. Like visually, you know, when they're dropping bombs on Arrakis, when they're like, it was a feast, as you said, and the soundtrack was amazing. And I think that the actors were so good and picked well. Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, I think is so perfect. Um, All of the characters. So like, and I agree with you, you know, it wasn't, it was a non-cheesy Star Wars. It was, it was beautiful and so good. So when I dive into the things I'm going to say, I did also like it. Yeah. (laughs) But so for me, I think the biggest thing, and I was sitting here thinking about it, like, what was the issue for me? And I think this movie actually did such a good job of following the book in a lot of ways, whereas a lot of uh, film adaptations don't. But I think it almost did too good of a job in the sense that they were just trying to check off boxes of plot points, like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. So, yeah. so they cram, you know, so much in and instead of like cutting out which is normally another complaint I'm like well they took that out but now I see why instead of taking out some of these events and making the others into a cohesive fleshed out story they they crammed all the plot points in there to be like okay well this happened this happened and it just felt a little like rushed and weird and underdeveloped to me and so it's like in one instance you're doing this the next they're bombing Arrakis the next and and it was just too fast paced. I think, I think this movie, and I don't advocate for this all the time because I think it's just a way for Hollywood to make money, but I think it should have been three movies because I missed, I don't miss like the comedy. I do not want this to be a cheesy thing, but I missed the, the feels in the, in regards to just like getting to know each of the characters you know like you spend a lot more time with Thufur Hawat in the book and the Duke with Dr. Dr. Yui like the betrayal also makes more sense from the book standpoint this was just like 
by the time there was a betrayal, you were like, well, I don't really care because I don't even know these people. If you exactly. hadn't read the book or something. And so right. I just, I think I want to give it props to following the book. Right. But in this case, I think that was also its downfall for me. So I don't know. Uh, yeah. 100% agree with everything you just said, because I walked out feeling like I want to see it again. Mm-hmm. But as I reflected on the movie and listened to my husband's points, mm-hmm. I think that one of the big things that was missing is at the end, there's no emotional feeling about what happens for yeah. me. You yeah. know, it's not like, it's like, okay, all these events happened and they were beautiful to watch and fun, but eh, you know, like the people, you don't really care about them. One of the other like weird things about, about this um, movie is it also kind of is a victim of the success of Dune, the book. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is you're sitting down and watching this. And so much of it felt like been there, done that. For example, the, oh, they called the orthocopters. They're like helicopter-like vehicles. Almost the exact same vehicle appeared in the movie Cowboys and Aliens back in what, like 2005, 2006, you know, now that vehicle clearly was invented by Frank Herbert in the book in 1965, but the Ben Gesserit witches or sorcerers or whatever they are, these women that have these powers and Paul's mother is one of them. These women almost exactly kind of thought, I don't, and our listeners, if you disagree with me, let me know. I feel like they're the Aes Sedai in the Wheel of Time books by Robert Mm -hmm. Jordan released in the 1990s. So because Frank Herbert's book was so successful and really was an influence on an entire generation, particularly of male sci-fi and fantasy writers, people like George R. R. Martin, George Lucas, Robert Jordan, etc. So many of his ideas we've already seen, yeah. you know? And so when we get to this movie, it's not, well, it's beautiful and everything. It's not like groundbreaking because it's kind of yeah. like, we've already seen all that, you know, that's what I felt a lot when I was watching it. Like, oh, those orthocopters, that should be super cool. And they are, but I watched that in Cowboys and Aliens, you know, 15 years ago or the, the sand planet with the giant worm. I mean, the CGI is like way better than star Wars, but that was in star Wars and, you know, or uh, tremors. <laughs> exactly. You know? So mm-hmm. it's almost like if this movie, not that they could have made this exact movie back in the 1970s, but if they had made it back then, then it all would have been like, wow, that's really cool and new. But now it's like, there's nothing really about it. That's groundbreaking in well, terms of the, the story. Agreed. Because even we went on a hike, I don't know, a couple of days after and my partner was like, well, isn't this kind of like the plot of Avatar? <laughs> and I was like, um, and we'll save, I want to save that for the, the book episode, talking about the whole controversy with it being like a white savior and all that. Like, we're going to save that for the book. Cause there's a lot to dive into with that. But, right. um, you know, he's like, well, I've already seen most of this in Avatar. And I was like, yeah, but Dune came first. And it's right. like, but it doesn't matter to, you know, for people who know the world and care about it, that matters. But for people like, you know, your husband, my partner, other people, they're like, I've seen this. So I think you're absolutely right. Um, Right. Right. You almost have to be a fan to get something out of this. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Or like, 
me, I'm just such a sci-fi fantasy nerd that, you know, I will watch like literally anything <laughs> that feels yeah. like fantasy or sci-fi and, and probably find something about it to enjoy. Absolutely. And I love epic fantasy. And to me, this is more epic fantasy than sci-fi. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even think it's sci-fi. I don't really, you know, it's like fantasy in space. It's like he took it's, it's sci-fi with because of the the ships and the yeah. the, the technology, but it, yeah, it's, right. this is one of those really good examples of something that's pretty much like both. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's but it yeah, and scale. It's like epic fantasy. It's these yeah. houses. It's it's the empire. It's you know these big battles. Mm-hmm. And I again, you you feel like I'm kind of like watching a sci-fi version of a game of thrones but yeah. obviously mm-hmm. this story predates game of thrones by a lot by 30 years and but because we've already read those books and seen that whole hbo series you know what i mean then you go to house of Trades and it's like oh they're the houses and they even have sigils <laughs> yeah like, you're like he copied george and it's yeah. like wait 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 and yeah. that's i feel like i need to wave this flag that's like excuse me Dune came first, like, right, right. <laughs> that'd be a good t-shirt. Dune came first. <laughs> right. Um, so I can definitely see where, you know, I mean, again, for me, like I write epic fantasy. I love to read epic fantasy. So having three or four movies of this would be totally up my alley. I mean, you can give me 20 of them and I'll go watch them. If I can see this kind of like cinematography and direction mm-hmm. and acting and all of the beauty of the film. But for your average everyday movie goer that doesn't give a shit about, you know, um, that kind of storytelling and they're just looking for an entertaining two hours, it could be a little bit of a, you know, difficult movie probably. Yeah. Yeah. So one, one thing that one thing, <laughs> one thing that bothered me and tell me if I'm wrong, So there was one thing to me that was cheesy and it wasn't cheesy in the book. And that was like, and if, um, listeners, I also want to hear your thoughts on this. So Dave Bautista as beast Raban, like, and he was doing the, like, (laughs) a very good imitation. (laughs) (laughs) You guys couldn't see the video, but it's like, it was like overacted, over dramatic, and in the book, he's just not that. You know, I don't know. I, it's like the same character he always plays. Yeah, that's and for me. Him? It made it tropey, yeah. and also um, the, the the Baron. So the Baron in the book is like super creepy and gross and all these things, and they made him like extra sci-fi fantastical in this with his like. You know, he has a suit that holds up his body, but here, like, somehow got like 50 feet tall. Yeah. He's and, like, and it was just, he's like on a, and he flew across the table. I don't yeah. know. For me, they, that was a weird addition that didn't need to happen because yeah. it made the Harkonnens less scary and just more like annoyingly tropey to me. Right. In the book, I think part of why he works and also why in the book, it really reminded it to me, I felt like this is job of the hut. Like this is, this is the, because in the book he's, uh, he's a bad guy and he's super fat, like probably what, 600 pounds or something. He's like a really big man. And in order for him to be able to move, he has machines 
little hover machines that hold his fat up for him Mm -hmm. so that he can get up off the seat, which I thought was, you know, again, kind of like going back to people like Henry VIII, where, you know, it was like the largesse of the upper class where they could afford to be overweight because they could eat. Well, he can afford to be overweight because he doesn't even have to move. You know, it's like he can just command everything and machines move him. Um, which is kind of an interesting concept in terms of uh, how to portray that character. Right. And and I think we should dive into that philosophy. Well, we can do that in the book. Like the the philosophy of Dune is, is, is big. So yeah, sorry. But in the movie, I think you're right. It, it, my husband pointed that out too. He thought that was really kind of cheesy that the guy is like flying, you know, like he's got a, an anti-gravity suit on or something. He's kind of flying and it, to make him loom hot, loom big, I think was the point of it, you know, from a filmmaker's perspective, he's trying to make him look big and imposing and kind of looming. And they do this in star Wars with the emperor, like um, the last couple of, you know, where that um, I can't think of his name right now because yeah, no. Yeah, not Palpatine and the other guy um, that was commanding um Darth Vader. <laughs> Your father. Um no, the uh shoot. Which 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 set of three are we talking about? Which movies should I look at to for the guy that's just like a floating head? You never see his whole body. He's all like forked up, his face is all messed up because. And he's like talking to them and he's just like a holographic image. Snopes, Scopes, what's his oh, name? Oh, 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 yes. Uh, Sn- Snope. Is it Snope? It's not Scopes <laughs> Monkey Trial. <laughs> Snope, it's not Snape. <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay. I, I, soap? It's been a while since soap. I watched that. <laughs> okay. I think it's Scope. <laughs> no. <laughs> CD Tavener, where are you? <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> Going very far afield of our conversation. See, you know, like my, the drinking keeps me from ever sounding remotely intelligent on the show. I'm going to blame the morning and the late night for not knowing about <laughs> soap. <laughs> anyway. You know, it's like a movie trick, right? Yeah. To make them look big and important. Mm-hmm. Like they find ways to, to blow them up and make them big. And I, I get what he was trying to do. I think it was a fail though. In this particular instance, I think it just came across as like cheesy and distracting. weird. Distracting. Yeah. And distracting, like why? And I I thought it would have been way cooler since you already have that actor, by the way, was Stellan Skarsgård. I think yeah. isn't he the guy? that um it's in the thor movies he's like the old professor i think so he's in a lot of movies yeah. but in this movie he had so much prosthetics and makeup on he was totally unrecognizable um and while you have him in that big fat suit my god why and you it, he introduced the flying lights you know yeah. like lights that are kind of anti-gravity lights floating around these machines. Well, he could have just done that in the movie. I don't know why he right. didn't. So yeah. it's kind of weird. I mean, it would have been gross, yeah. but you know, the but character's yeah, gross. Exactly. So th- that was my, I would say that was my only beef with like uh, a stylistic storytelling change was just like the Harkonnens were so just cheesy, but 
yeah, it is what it is. I Let me know my, what y'all think. I think my husband has like a little, you know, like star crush on Zendaya. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think we both do. We just like, so I think he felt a little cheated by the fact that again, he doesn't, he's never read Dune and he's seen all these trailers for the movie and she's in all the trailers and she's on the poster and, you know, he's like, oh, she's going to be in this movie. And she is, but she kind of isn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's in his visions. And so we don't really see her acting in the movie until the last, like what quarter? Yeah. That sounds right. If that of the movie. And so my husband walked out and he's like, well, I wanted Zendaya. I I didn't really get Zendaya. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a disappointment. Um, Yeah. They found ways to weave her in more than she was in the book. So that's positive. And then I wasn't upset with those changes. Um, Right. Yeah. And so my husband's like, those are my favorite parts. (laughs) I think someone has a little crush on Zendaya. But in his defense, I think those are the parts that were the most fleshed out and cohesive. And so it's like, by the time they got to the, the Fremen and all of that, I would say after, uh, I mean, here, here we go. Some spoilers people after Jessica and Paul escape with the help of Keens from that underground scientific facility. I feel like that's where it started to, to track the pace became, I feel like, okay. At that point for people. Um, you're more following what's going on. Yeah. And, and you, you were more intrigued, like, you know, the whole scene with the Fremen where they, they first encounter the Fremen, where we have Zendaya. I I think that was interesting. And I actually like, I cared in those moments about people and we got to see how badass Jessica actually is, which was super cool. Right. Um, And you got to see how actually badass Paul is and Zendaya's character and Stilgar, all of them, you could see how they actually interact in a community. And so I think there was Mm -hmm. a good human element there. And so I I actually agree with your husband (laughs) that the movie was the best when she was in there, maybe because of her, but also the story just made, I don't know, it fit better for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I, it's funny reading reviews of this movie, they're all over the board, um, which is interesting and kind of tracks with what, I guess the experiences you and I had with the people we went to see the movie with, but a lot of people thought that, is it Rebecca Ferguson? I think is the actor that plays, um, his mother, Jessica. Mm -hmm. I felt she was simpering through so much of this movie. I was like, Oh my God. I felt like she was really overdoing it. And then I read these reviews and everyone's like lauding her performance. And I was like, maybe I was in a different movie, but I mean, I felt like she's just, she's supposed to be the strong person and she was falling apart constantly. Interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that, but. And at the end, she so she's falling apart and falling apart and falling apart and falling apart. And she's telling herself, pull yourself together, pull yourself together, you know? And then at the end, she turns around oh, and she's right. like fucking ninja lady. And I'm like, wait a minute, why is she, she's the only one in the whole movie that's, so I, so as I see that, because like when when they're in the the ornithopter and all that, and she's like whispering under her breath, like having a panic attack. Right. And that wasn't in the book, because in the book we're in her head and she's like, basically like, don't fuck with me. Like, I got this. Like, why are you fucking with me, bro? Like when (laughs) Zufir Hawat comes at her with that thing and she's like, I will destroy you. You know, yeah, I can see that. I think she acted it well, but I think the way they wrote her 
didn't do her justice because she's a Benny Jessert witch and she knows it. And she's like, she knows that she could actually like, she's more powerful than everyone on this planet. I mean, right. not, but yeah. And she knows that in the book and you couldn't tell that she knew that in the movie. I see what you're saying there. I mean, she looked on the verge of crying or was crying virtually the entire movie mm-hmm. until, you know, the very end, basically. And then mm-hmm. at the end, spoiler alert, there's a moment where her husband, while they're still on their planet, you know, the house of Atreides plant, uh, home planet, when he's saying to her, will you defend Paul? Will you have his back? Not as a Ben Jesuit, but as his mother, will you have his back? And she says, yes, I will. But then at the very end of the movie, like the very last scene, we're just it visually without words, getting a little bit of a hint about what's coming next. Mm-hmm. And there's this look that his mother has because Paul decides in the end scene in the battle, he's either going to be the martyr and he's going to be like the saint, you know, the, the Messiah, or he's not, and he chooses not. And so he doesn't die and he wins the battle and she gives him this look and I haven't even finished the whole book. So I don't know what's happening, what's coming, but mm-hmm. to me, I would interpret the look as meaning she's on the fence about what she's going to do because she is Ben Gesserit and she is, you know, and, and like, will she turn on Paul? Will she have his back? That's so. And I like, think it's okay not to know that as we talk about this, just to, right. Cause it, then we're not spoiling anything for part two of the movie. Right. Um, right. I, as the movie material is fresh for me, I'm like, what's going to happen with his mother. But mm-hmm. so in the last like 15 minutes of this 155 minutes, she's she's this way but I think one of the things with her acting and again this is you know kind of a we're getting into the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts like picky kind of criticism Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the acting as a whole across the whole cast was cohesive because she is being very theatrical very like melodramatic very over the top Timothy Chalamet is uh timothée chalamet is that's you know, what it is timothée yeah in french it would be timothée oh okay. not timothée yeah uh, you know timothée. definitely not timothée <laughs> timothée i think some people call him timmy timmy chalmet <laughs> timmy chalmet but anyway timmy Sorry. tim hottie by the way holy shit is so he? hot this is a different this is a different no? discussion okay we'll have this know. discussion too. yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the way he acted the part. I enjoyed all, almost all the acting, but, but um, his mother and then the Dax, uh, his character, and then uh, Jason Momoa, these three actors, I felt like at various Which points, Dax, Dax um, the guy who played Dave Bautista. Oh, Dave Bautista. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I call him Dax. Okay. Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista play themselves pretty much. And they're big, strong guys and that's Mm -hmm. fine. But this to me was not the movie for those people. And that style of acting. I agree. They're they're great in Star Wars and Marvel movies and stuff like that, but Mm -hmm. not in this one. Yep, I agree. I agree. That's how I felt with that. And I don't know why I felt this way about Hermione in the Harry Potter films where Hermione in the book is never this fretful, you know, nervous, breathless, perpetually breathless oh my 
Hermione. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and then in the, in the movies, it's like, oh my God, woman, pull yourself together. You can whip the ass of all of these guys. Yeah. You know, and you're acting like, oh my God. And, um, yeah, yeah I see that. I mean, I love her. So don't get me wrong. Don't like go hate her on me. Fans, listeners, <laughs> I love her, the actor. Her, Emma Watson or? Emma Watson. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I love the character, Hermione Granger. I just, yeah. in the movies, the way she was portrayed. Yeah. Some female actors, I think, or the way that they're written, they tend to get overwritten or overacted to the point mm-hmm. where they're practically hysterical all the time. And it's yeah. like, or on the verge of like crying every minute. Yeah. Even when the character in the books aren't written that way. Right. And I'm just like, oh, take yeah. a Valium and chill out. <laughs> is Valium even a thing anymore? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's probably some other drug now. I'm stuck in the 70s. That sounds really late. Yeah, that sounds when really all old. of our mothers were taking Valium, mine included, to deal with the fact that they were at home with all these fucking kids. <laughs> <laughs> now people don't have children. We're really off topic. <laughs> That's, now, that's how we fix now, that. Yeah, this will go at the end. Natalie will cut this and put it at the end. Now we can't afford to have kids, so we don't need Valium. It's perfect. Timothy, Timothée, Chalamet, hottie or not? So I think he's a total hottie. He's way too young for me, but I think he's a total hottie. And the fact that he's too young, yeah, like that's the only issue of why I'm not going to be dating Timothy Chalamet. I think it's, I think he's, I think he like, so I don't think he's an unattractive dude, but like hottie, it's like, if you're into like, like little brooding vampiric dude. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So (laughs) I'm not generally, but there's something about him. Yeah. I think he's very interesting. And I like that, that he's not, he doesn't like look like all these other dudes who were like, yeah, that guy's hot. Like, I think it's like Adam Driver. Yes. I think they're, they're very interesting. And they like, I appreciate that. They have right. a, a, they're, they're very attractive in an interesting way. Right. Like, a I don't like, I don't dream about them. I don't dream about any of these people. I don't know what I'm talking about. I do dream about <laughs> Valium. <laughs> the too much information portion of our show. Henry Cavill. Okay. Yeah. I cannot, I, through confessions, I've been known to spend an hour just scrolling through fan sites about Henry Cavill. I don't know what it is about him. I'm obsessed with his face. I want to see it everywhere all the time. And then he's British. So when he speaks, it's like pleasant to listen to as well. And I'm like, yeah, Henry Cavill. Okay. So tipsy nerds, if this next piece doesn't make sense with what was before we had to cut about 15 minutes of laughing side quests so we're bringing it back to dune the movie (laughs) what else do we want to say about this well we have questions for listeners so i'm very curious to hear what our listeners thought of the movie and if you get in touch with us on our social on twitter or instagram or facebook i'd be curious to know if you liked it didn't like it, recommended or not, what your thoughts are. And did you read the book first? So, mm-hmm. you know, like people who have read the book, what did you think of the movie? And then people that haven't read the book and saw it, what did you think? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think those are good questions. This is definitely one I'd love for people to interact with us on because yeah. we, we have these, you know, strong reactions to the movie. And as people who have read at least as far as the content of the movie of the book. And so I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I really want to hear how people felt about it. So, yeah, I mean, just wrapping it up. I liked a lot of things about it. And I think a lot of things about it could have been better. <laughs> but yeah. I think you should go see it in the theater because it is so visually and visually stunning. I think seeing it on a big screen would do that aspect of it justice. Absolutely. I think it's already out on HBO, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. On the or- HBO Prime or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. subscription channel HBO has. I think they released it, but definitely I think if you can see it on a big screen, this is one to see. My seat was actually vibrating from the sound. And I love it when that, you know, like (laughs) you're really immersed in the movie when, you know, the deep bass is rumbling and the ships are coming in or, and you know, the, the Hans Zimmer score just really, Mm -hmm. you know, pulls you in with the sound. And I'm excited to see what Denis Villeneuve can produce next. I mean, yeah both Blade Runner 2049 and Dune have this really strong, like canon already Mm -hmm. in place, you know? And I would love to see what this filmmaker could do with a really strong sci-fi movie that's not based on something that everybody already knows. I mean, like, for example, Arrival is such a beautiful movie. I don't know if you've seen that, Mm -hmm. but it's so different. And when I first saw it, I was like, wow, I'm seeing something that's really a shift for sci-fi, you know, away from such kind of whiz bang, you know, Mm -hmm. special effects kind of things. And to a much more like reminiscent of, well, like 2001 Space Odyssey, where it's, it's quiet and slow and like literary science fiction. (laughs) Exactly. For for the screen, like arty, artistic. Mm -hmm. So one thing I was thinking the other day was we've talked about um, Ursula Le Guin and I think Frank Herbert too. At the time that they're, they were writing these award-winning novels, Dune and Left Hand of Darkness, sci-fi had been kind of like campy pulp fiction kind of stories right. that really were geared towards almost like a comic book uh, mm-hmm. sort of mentality. Um, not there's anything wrong with comic books. I love comic books, but they weren't literary um, right. stories. And so they, you know, like Flash Gordon, that sort of thing. So they really moved the needle for literature, uh, sci-fi literature, and moved it over into this realm where it could be more literary and could have big themes and um, allegory and metaphor and all of that. I feel like Dennis Villeneuve, along with Hans Zimmer together, this combo are doing for visual sci-fi what those early authors did. Like when we had Steven Spielberg and George Lucas in the 70s making like the Jaws, the Star Wars, those movies, along with John Williams, they were proving that sci-fi could be big blockbuster and they were selling a gazillion tickets and that's all great. And that's continued to this day. But with this, these last three sci-fi movies that Dennis has made, I'm just excited to see, you know, if we can continue to see um, this 
at least have this alternative kind of sci-fi where it's not all just Marvel movies and superheroes. Yeah. You know, can we have these for the screen? So I hope that people go see these movies, I guess is my bottom line, because if people go and see them and pay for the the ticket, then we'll continue to get these movies made. Yeah. Um, And so I'm glad and heartened to see that at least some people are going to see it and hopefully we'll continue to see these movies because my little nerd heart wants more of them. Yeah, I agree. That was actually, that was a beautiful wrap up too of all of this. <laughs> I, I think that was spot on and I, I'm it's, looking forward to part two and I, I'm looking forward to, yeah, all the ways in which the genres of science fiction and fantasy can be expanded by talented, creative people in all fields. So, right. It's probably a better wrap up than us waxing up on about Henry Cavill's beautiful face and Bob. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You go from, from that to this really like intelligent cohesive thing (laughs) okay anyway we let's actually wrap it up (laughs) yeah so answer our questions interact with us and thanks for listening tipsy nerds until next time cheers thank you for listening to the tipsy nerds book club podcast don't forget to subscribe rate review and share the fun with your friends and family Want a recipe for a cocktail you heard here? You can find recipes as well as show notes, episode transcripts, and helpful links on our website, tipsynerdsbookclub.com. And as always, join us next week for a new episode of Libations and Geeking Out. Cheers.